why don't you uh, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah for this evening. Jeremiah chapter 15. And we thought it'd be appropriate for uh, those of you that are wondering to have, you know, a Christmas tree in the background because of the Babylonian practice of cutting down trees and putting a a stand on them. Uh, (laughs) Well, actually, if you missed our study in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 10, we talked about, should Christians have Christmas trees? And I think the obvious answer is yes, at least if you uh, go with what, uh, you know, the word says according to our study, verse by verse. Um, You know, when they cut trees out of the woods, they carved them into idols. And they cut the branches off and chiseled and then covered them in gold and silver. That's what's being talked about there. So don't let somebody try to tell you that you can't have Christmas trees based on the ancient Babylonian practice. Um, but, you know, if you're just hearing this going, that's wrong. Um, well, I'm sorry for you. Uh, go ahead, Pahambuk, don't have a Christmas tree. Uh, but we here at Athey, we love our Christmas trees. And, and man, it's, starting to, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas here at Athey. So um, looking forward to having you all back in the sanctuary this weekend. And so make sure uh, tomorrow afternoon, go the, the, the tickets so you can get your seats. Uh, it'll be great to have you back in the building starting uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning. So make sure and do that. And uh, tonight we're continuing our study. Jeremiah chapter 15 is where we left off. And if you recall, Jeremiah was addressing the great drought that was happening to the people of Israel. And the drought was predicted by the Lord because of their wickedness. And Jeremiah is a heavy book, uh, especially the section we're in. It's heavy because, man, the people have rebelled so badly that they're beyond the point of return. There's no hope for them. Um, This is one of those, you know, people always say, well, there's always hope. Um, There must be hope. And um, not for these people, not at this time. Uh, There's a point of no return. And this is sort of that notion that comes from even Genesis where the Lord says during the time of the flood, my spirit will not always strive with men. There's a point of no return. There's a threshold where people need to understand you can cross the line where God says you're done, Uh, time's up. Um, And he gives you over to your own lusts, your own devices, Romans chapter one, we see that. Um, So be careful, Christian. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why we need to share the gospel is there are people who have hardened their hearts against the Lord. And some, some of those people are gonna reach that point of no return, but it's our job to be light and salt in this dark world and share people, share with people the gospel message because <clears throat> we don't know where that point is. <clears throat> but Jeremiah has given the word from the Lord. The Lord says, Jeremiah, he's been told three times already, don't even pray for these people because they're toast. They're gonna be wiped out. And um, And then the Lord spends a lot of time talking about their demise and what it's gonna look like. And some of you might say, well, Brett, why does Jeremiah wax so eloquent about their death and how birds are gonna pluck their skin off their bones and their their bodies are gonna lay like manure out on the ground? Like that's what Jeremiah's gonna say tonight. You're you're gonna be thinking, man, this is encouraging. Merry Christmas. Uh, Jeremiah is not a happy book. But, But you have to ask the question, why? Why? would the Lord record this for us to read on a, you know, December night here in 2020, um, you know, about the certain doom of these people? Well, I think there are lessons to be learned. You see, these people might be doomed, but praise the Lord, we're not. And maybe even our nation is not yet. It seems like we're headed there fast. 
Um, but we don't know when that end is, and so we have work to do. And I think the scary language of this chapter uh, and you know the next couple chapters should only light a fire on, under us to share the love of Christ, to, to tell people about the goodness of the Lord and how he'll forgive sins, anyone who repents. That's the problem. These people didn't repent. They would not repent of their evil that they had done. And so the Lord says, uh, yeah, you, you, they're, they're toast and you can't even intercede on behalf of them. Now that's kind of where we pick it up. The Lord's gonna reference two people that interceded or intervened on behalf of the children of Israel. And uh, we'll look at that um, as we move forward here. Chapter 15, verse one. There it says, then said the Lord unto me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. And it shall come to pass, if they say unto thee, whither shall we go forth? Then thou shalt tell them, thus saith the Lord, such as are for death, to death, and such as are for the sword, to the sword, and such as are for the famine, to the famine, and such as are for the captivity, to the captivity. And I will appoint over thee four kinds, saith the Lord, uh, over them four, four kinds, saith the Lord, the sword to slay, and the dogs to tear, and the fowls of heaven, and the beast of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will cause them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. Wow, so we have here the Lord saying it's, they're, they're gonna be toast um, and the sword is for these people and the famine is for these people and the captivity is for these people. That's that poetic language Jeremiah is using there. But there's, there's a couple guys mentioned in the first verse here that I think we should kind of remember what's being referred to. Um, the Lord was going to destroy Israel several times. And there's this strange notion where the Lord, well, the word in the King James is translated repented. The Lord repented of the evil that he was going to do to the children of Israel. Um, and, uh, and the word repentance is a, probably a tough translation there because the Lord, you know, the word repentance means you change your mind, change your direction. And the Bible teaches us the Lord does not change. He never changes. So is that a contradiction in the Bible? Well, if you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is often mostly translated more of a relented it's like if you're pushing on, you know, pushing your heavy hand of discipline and you finally relent, you choose to relent. It's not that the Lord is changing, it's his timing, it's his way, it's his plan, his purpose. So it's not a changing as much, but when did that happen with Moses and with Samuel? Those are the two guys mentioned here in the first verse. Um, and the one perhaps you can remember is from Exodus, jot it down in your notes, Exodus chapter 32, um, where it says, you know, after they made the golden calf, and they were worshiping it. And Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the 10 commandments. And so Moses comes down and they're all partying nakedly around this golden calf and said, these be the gods that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Like this is a hard hearted, rebellious people of Israel. And so what does the Lord do? It says in verse nine of Exodus 32, I'll just read it to you. The Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee, Moses, a great nation. Ha, 
wonder what went through Moses' mind. Um, we don't know for sure. We know what his response was, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Because if I were Moses, I'd be like, you mean you wanna wipe out these people and make of me and my family a mighty nation? You mean kids in Sunday school will no longer sing Father Abraham had many sons, they'll sing Father Moses had many sons, and I'll be the father, cool Lord, and I would just step aside and say, okay, fry them, uh, wipe them out, do whatever you're gonna do. But Moses doesn't do that. He does something quite intriguing because you remember, Moses had been beat up by these people, you know, with their words many times over. Moses, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And many times, you know, Moses was, was really, you know, dealing with these people and they were just rascals. I'd be sick of these people. But listen to what Moses says in verse 11 of Exodus 32. It says, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thou thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did the Lord bring them to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of the evil uh, uh, against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to this people. Again, the Hebrew word there is the word better translated, relented. Um, and he, um, you know, you might say, well, Brett, um, why would God change and act like he was gonna do something? I believe this is all part of God's plan to work in Moses, all the characteristics that he needed as the leader of Israel. Who put it in the heart of Moses to pray on behalf of these people, to intercede? Even though they're just being totally uh, sinful, wacko people, Moses says, oh Lord, you've given them a promise. You've given them your covenant and you, uh, you need to forgive and keep your name. Your name is on the line, not these people. So that's the first example that we see here in Jeremiah that is being referred to. Jeremiah might be tempted, Lord, I know you're gonna wipe out these people, but like Moses, I'm gonna stand on behalf and, and intercede on behalf of them. And the Lord saying, don't even try to do what Moses did. Uh, I'm not gonna relent this time. Uh, I'm not gonna change my direction this time. So don't even pray. That's what he said. Now, what about the Samuel reference here? Uh, well, that that's actually comes from 1 Samuel chapter seven. And um, if you remember, um, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant had been over with the Philistines and what have you. But in 1 Samuel chapter seven, um, uh, there was an interesting event. I'll just read it to you. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah and I will pray unto you for uh, unto the Lord. Um, and they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Um, so what, what's happening is the children of Israel realized that they had sinned against the Lord and that the Lord was gonna wipe them out. Again, this was one of those times where they thought the Lord's gonna allow the Philistines to come and wipe out the Jews. So the Jews are like, Samuel, pray for us. Intercede on behalf of us. And Samuel does so. It says here that the, the Samuel took a suckling of the lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel and the Lord heard Samuel. And Samuel, as he was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder 
on the day of the Philistines and discomfited them and they were smitten before Israel. Again, the Jews were rebellious and sinful and wrong, um, but they ended up asking, you know, Samuel, please inter intercede on behalf of us. And so the Lord relented of what he was gonna do to Israel and let the Philistines wipe them out. But instead the Philistines got wiped out because they repented, made an altar and a sacrifice and the Lord changed. And these are the two references that, that Jer Jeremiah is told, don't even think about trying what Moses did. Don't even try to do what Samuel did because I'm not gonna relent with this people. So this is a heavy, heavy deal. Now, why has the Lord had it at this point? Well, he's gonna answer that question uh, thoroughly in the next couple chapters. But he kind of begins with this idea of Manasseh the king there in verse four. I will cause them to be removed from the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, uh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, um, for that which he did in Jerusalem. If you recall there uh, in 2 Kings, do you remember when Hezekiah was sick unto death and the Lord says, Hezekiah, prepare to go home and be with me, heaven. But Hezekiah chirped like a bird and said, I don't wanna die, Lord. And so the Lord, you know, begged the Lord and the Lord said, okay, I'm gonna give you 15 more years. Well, it was during those 15 years that, uh, that he had, there was a new son of Hezekiah named Manasseh. And uh, it's unfortunate. Had Hezekiah gone to be with the Lord, it's probable that Manasseh would never have been born and he would not have been the next king. But he ends up being the worst king in Israel's history, Manasseh. And, uh, and he does the abominable thing where he got the children of Israel in Jerusalem to sacrifice their babies. Remember the, the, the two gods, Chemosh and Moloch. Those were the gods that they would sacrifice their children, their babies on these red hot idols there in the Valley of Gehenna. And it was Manasseh who really uh, brought that to, to pass there in Jerusalem in a horrifying level. And that's where the Lord says, I just, there's a point where, you know, my, my spirit will not always strive with man. I'm not always gonna put up with the stuff that people do. And Manasseh is a good reason why I'm gonna wipe out this group of people. He started something that the children of Israel continued to do and I'm not gonna allow it to happen. And it does cause me to wonder, where is the point of no return for the United States? Or really largely the world today, you know, much of the world today, we all do the same things. You know, abortion is something we all do in, in, in the world. And I liken that unto the worship of Chemosh and Moloch, where we sacrifice little babies on the altars of these gods. You know, it really isn't that unlike what they were doing. In fact, um, in some ways it's equally as horrific when you see the process of an abortion. It's the most inhumane, most grotesque, um, heinous act that you could ever imagine. If, if, if most people are oblivious or they blind themselves to what actually happens during an abortion, but it's really horrific. And, um, and I, I think that, you know, if God doesn't eventually judge us for what we're doing, he's gonna owe these people an apology. We're doing the same thing, except by the millions millions of babies aborted since, since uh, Roe versus Wade. And it's just heartbreaking to see how we've just embraced such evil. And it's all for our own, well, really for our own pleasure. 
people want to have sex outside of marriage. People don't want to have children uh, because they're they're um, uh, you know not ready or their families. Not, hey, you know it should have you know started before you had intimacy with someone. Uh, you know that's like the Bible tells us. You know you're supposed to wait until you're married. Now now our culture says yeah whatever, and then they've got the problem of unwanted pregnancies and they wonder why is this happening. Uh, I can explain it to you off the record if you want me to, but when you have sex, you're gonna have babies. And um, well, Brett, birth control and all this stuff. We have become this really strangely um, driven culture sexually. And we have told our young people that it's all okay. You know, multiple sex partners. And we wonder why we have such an issue with abortion, killing these innocent babies. We wonder why we have issues with sexually transmitted diseases and why people, nobody wants to talk about that stuff. It's because we want to sin. And the people don't like what God says when it comes to abstinence, uh, when it comes to sexuality. Um, But because of that, because we've totally blown off all the other rules, we have this issue of abortion and it's become a very evil thing of our culture. And how much longer will the Lord say, you know, I'm gonna be patient, long suffering? Uh, I don't know, but I sense that the wrath of the Lord is coming on a Christ rejecting sinful world. It's called the tribulation period and it is coming. That's when the day of the Lord comes where he will judge the nations and he will smite the nations. Not that unlike what Jeremiah is being told to say to the people of Israel, to the men of Judah, to say, listen, you guys are going down and there's no praying for you. There's no hope for you. Um, and that's why this book is here to tell us, we don't wanna to get to that place of no return where the Lord says, I'm done, time's up. Without people coming to know Christ, without the Lord being revealed. Now, when that happens, when the Lord does say that's it, I believe that's where the rapture of the church happens. We'll be taken out before the wrath of God is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Thank the Lord for that. So it's good news for the believer, but really bad news for um, the non-believer who's engaging in this sinful stuff. The Lord will judge, and that's what the Bible teaches. That's why the book of Jeremiah is here. You know, again, uh, the the churches and pastors that don't talk about God's wrath or judgment, they, they won't touch Jeremiah chapter 15 because it's not full of hope. It's actually one of the most hopeless chapters you'll find. It's not full of victory. It's not one, you won't find real victory at all in in this chapter, Um, except for maybe Jeremiah. Um, But but even that's kind of dubious until heaven. But, but all that to say, uh, that's the value of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible is you kind of get the full counsel and the full picture of what God is doing. And you're not just getting little bits and pieces of, of things. Well, all that to say, the Lord says, because of Manasseh and what he did, that's what's really been the final straw, you know, that's, that's, uh, that, that I'm, I'm gonna judge Israel, I'm gonna judge Judah. So he goes on in verse five there in Jeremiah 15, verse five, for who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. Therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. Again, the word in some of your newer translations is relenting. I'm weary of relenting, um, you know, or the NIV says how I can no longer show you compassion. 
There is an end to the rebellious, sinful people that God says, that's it. And uh, he says, I weary of showing compassion to a people that are totally blowing me off and blowing off my word. That's what the Lord's saying. Verse seven, and I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. Now, if you're thinking, oh, how nice, a fan uh, to cool us. Nope, it's a fan to, to stir up the flames uh, of judgment. That's the idea here. I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the seas. I have brought upon them against the mother of the, of the young men, a spoiler at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly and terrors upon the city. She that hath borne seven languisheth. She that has given up the ghost, her son has gone down while it was yet day. She hath been ashamed and confounded and the residue of them will I deliver to the sword before their enemies, saith the Lord. He's just giving scary imagery here of moms losing their sons and women losing their husbands, widows as, you know, stumbling around the land because everyone is dead um, and there's no one there that will hear or even care. That's, that's the sad thing about this particular story. Nobody even cared that the Jews were about to be wiped out by the Babylonians. Um, and uh, at least usually there's someone who's standing by going, oh, that's a bummer. Uh, Israel's fallen, Jeru Judah's going down, but nobody could care less uh, as the story goes here. So verse 10, woe is me, my mother. Um, now this is it's starting to sound like Isaiah. Remember how many times Isaiah said, woe is me? I, apparently he has a horse named Ismi. Woe is me. Uh, uh, but uh, no, I'm sorry. Actually just um, woe is me. Um, why is he saying this about his own mother, Jeremiah? Well, hearing about these mothers uh, seeing their sons killed and their, the widows, their husbands killed, Jeremiah's like, what about my mom? Um, check this out. He's kind of saying, what about me? Uh, woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife, a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury nor men have lent on to me on usury. Let every one of them, uh, yet every one of them yet doth curse me. It's a little bit like Jeremiah saying, wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo, woe is me. Um, um, that's what he's saying, woe is me. Because man, I haven't done anything wrong, um, but I'm living in this time and my mother gave birth to me and is she gonna be childless because of this situation that's going on? And uh, Jeremiah is starting to feel a little bit sorry for himself. And you can't give him, you gotta give him a little break because it is pretty bleak, the whole story. But we're gonna see what the Lord has for Jeremiah. Um, it says here, the Lord answers him in verse 11. The Lord said, verily it shall be well with thy remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Shall iron break the northern iron and the steel? Thy substance and thy treasures will I give to the spoil without price, and that for all thy sins, even in the, all thy borders. And I will make thee to pass with thine enemies into a land which thou knowest not. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, which shall burn upon you. Um, he's talking about there's a remnant that's gonna be left. Um, as it turns out, about one in four of the Jews 
uh, during this time would be uh, saved by taking them into captivity, uh, the Babylonian captivity. They'd be taken by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC to, uh, to be sort of prisoners. And, um, and then the other three quarters of the people would die in the, in the land by the sword. Um, so that's a huge part of their population dead. Um, and Jeremiah is, is gonna be part of that remnant when he's saying, woe is me, what's gonna happen to me? The Lord's gonna say, you're gonna be part of the remnant um, is what he's saying. Um, verse 15, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that, thou, that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Um, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of mine heart for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Um, I love this, Jeremiah saying, you know, I, I haven't done anything wrong. Um, I haven't, you know, loaned money and charged high interest, he said earlier. Um, I'm not in debt, he said earlier. I've been good. But then he says, Lord, you know, you know that I've suffered because of my speaking your word. But I love what he says. This is one of those bright spots here. Verse 16 is one of the bright spots in a dark chapter where he says, when, when we found the book, remember it was during the time of Jeremiah, they found, they literally found the book of the scroll in the temple that had been, you know, in, in deteriorated status. And remember when, you know, Shaphan and Hilkiah found the scroll of the book and read it to Josiah, it would be at that time, Jeremiah also got to read the book. And this is what he says. He says, when thy words were found, the word of God, and I did eat them, he ate the word. I like that uh, language that he, where he ate up the words. Do you remember, there's other places in the Bible. Ezekiel talks about eating the word, um, but also I believe it's Revelation chapter 10, where John, remember he was told to eat up the scroll and eat up the words of the book. And remember it was sweetness like, like honey going through his mouth, but it was bitterness in his belly. Sometimes the word does that. It's sweet going in, but then when you see some of the heavy stuff like Jeremiah, you get a bitterness in the belly. Uh, the word can do that. But in this case, Jeremiah says, I've eaten up the words of this book. And it says, and it was joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Man, I love this. Jeremiah uh, says, the word brought joy to my soul. Um, I hope you understand that the word does that. That's one of the benefits of the word of God is that it brings joy and happiness um, as you just plow through scripture and keep studying the word. Jeremiah goes on about his afflictions and his troubles. Verse 17, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers nor rejoiced, I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Here, Jeremiah starts to doubt the Lord. Lord, are you gonna fail me? Uh, and, and he might be referring to, if you recall, Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. Do you remember where the Lord says, you have committed two evils, Israel and Judah. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you've exchanged them for broken down cisterns that cannot carry water. And here, Jeremiah might be referring to that saying, Lord, I've, I've turned to you and I alone, I'm by myself here, trusting in you, but I'm thirsty. And, and are you turning out to be a liar? 
Jeremiah is bold here saying, Lord, have you lied to me that you're the fountain of living water? Because everybody else is forsaking you, but I alone am with you. But I find myself a little thirsty. Lord, have you, have you lied to me about the, being the waters? That's where Jeremiah's at. Have you ever felt that the Lord maybe wasn't gonna come through for you? Or that maybe his word wasn't really gonna come to pass like you'd hoped? Um, but you, you have to understand there's times in your life where the Lord has to do his timing and his plan. And it's not always your timing and your plan. And um, I think there's gonna come a time where the Lord's, he's almost like he wants to say, listen, I'll explain all this to you later. But for now, just trust me. Um, that's what the Lord requires of us is just to trust the Lord during times when he actually doesn't give us the answers. So here Jeremiah is having to put his faith in the Lord and, and he's wondering, Lord, is your word even true when it says you're gonna take care of me? That you're gonna be the water of the fountain of living water? And uh, you're in good company if you feel like the Lord is not there for you sometimes. Jeremiah felt that. Now, ultimately, we know it all worked out good for Jeremiah. Right now, Jeremiah is safely tucked away in heaven with the Lord and he's living for all eternity with the Lord. That's, that's the thing that matters. Uh, Jeremiah's life was tough. The Lord never promised for, for the believer that this life would be rosy and easy, but he does promise eternal life uh, that's beautiful prosperity and total blessedness. And Jeremiah is there right now. So remember, try to keep that in mind, you know, that it's not about the here and the now. Jeremiah had to kind of go through this time. But I also wanna say that Jeremiah was in a time that I think we can relate to, to a certain degree, when he says, um, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced, but I sat alone because of thy hand. Um, we're living in a day where if you believe the Bible, literally, if you take the Bible literally, as I do, um, you're gonna be alone on certain things. Um, I found that to be more true today than it was even two or three years ago, maybe five years ago. You know, it seemed like we were all in agreement on things, but it's funny, if you stick to God's word, there's gonna be a, just a difference. And you, you might find yourself sitting alone with your biblical worldview. And there might not be anyone in your family or your friends or the people you work with that understand or will, will get it. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't that long ago, I can remember we live in a culture where, you know, people just generally believed or they gave it to you. Well, at least you found your path and you have your understanding. But today we're finding a great hostility toward people who believe the Bible literally. And then when it comes to the church and, and keeping the church on track doctrinally, that we don't get off on tangents and do stuff that's wacko, um, you also find yourself alone. See, one of the things these people did is, remember they were, they were in this revival where they were going to the temple, but the Lord indicted them and said, yeah, but you're worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and Diana and all these other gods and goddesses during the week. So you're adding to your religion, false religious systems, but you're going through the motions of true religion. And the Lord says, your sacrifices in the temple mean nothing to me. You're, you're acting like you're believers and you're acting like you're people of Jehovah, but you're not, the Lord says through Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, but I'm the only one. He feels like he's the only one. Remember, I mean, this happens often to the prophets. Even Elisha was there, um, you know, thinking he was the only prophet left. Uh, but the Lord says, nope, there's other prophets. Uh, there's other people that aren't bowing the knee to Baal. But Jeremiah's in one of those places where he feels alone. And if I could guess, some of you are feeling kind of alone. 
uh, in your position, in your stance. Some of you are public school teachers and you're trying to you know, love on kids and teach them and pour into their lives, but your faith is almost like a detriment in the mind of a, you know, a public school system. You know, for you to be one who believes in God goes against everything the teachers associations and the unions actually believe, and you're alone. Um, you know, there, there, there's a thing that's happened to the whole education system where they're so liberally minded that they've just, you wanna keep God out of school altogether and they've gone to all kinds of weird philosophies and, and you might find yourself alone. Maybe some of you at work, you know, you, you, you wanna stand up for what's right, but if you do, you'll be ostracized. Um, Jeremiah had to live in those kinds of days. And I think you and I are living more and more in those days where it costs you if you're gonna be a literal Bible believer. It's because of that, there's a lot of people that are trying to um, sort of acquiesce to the world and not take the Bible literally. They'll say, well, I can't believe that because it doesn't go with the world and I'll be ostracized. But you know, Jesus talked about that, that when you follow after Jesus, you know, you might lose your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your friends. You might be left alone. Um, if you are a person of real faith. And I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom and you know, bum everybody out, but I'm just saying we're living in a day where it can and it does cost you to stand up for literal Bible interpretation. Uh, and people just don't like that. Uh, Jeremiah is in that place right here where he says, I'm alone. Don't you see, Lord, my pain? I'm suffering, he's saying. Um, you know, in perpetual wound, he calls it. Um, refusing to be healed. So he finds himself in a real down and out sort of place. But the Lord answers him in verse 19. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth, and let them return unto thee, but return thou not unto them. In other words, you know, um, you've got to separate the good from the bad, you know, the right from the wrong. And that's part of our job. When it says here, you know, that he's supposed to take forth the precious from the vile. That's oftentimes what you and I have to spend our time doing today because there's so much vile intermixed with precious. It's hard to tell what's good anymore. And the world calls evil good and good evil. Um, and that's where we are today. Jeremiah's having to d divide those things. But, the, but he says, don't return to those things. Don't go back to those kinds of things. So <clears throat> verse 20, I will make unto thee <clears throat> this people as a fenced brass wall. They shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked. And I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. Um, you just stay, you know, on teaching, preaching the word, teaching what I say, and I'll protect you, the Lord says. I'll put a big brass wall, a big beautiful wall, and I'll make Babylon pay for it. No, actually, <laughs> um, here, here's, here's an example of a wall that the Lord is making to protect, you know, Jeremiah. Well, chapter 16, this is a uh, section where God puts personal restrictions 
on Jeremiah. Isn't it funny? Here's Jeremiah saying, things are bad and I, I'm not happy and I need help and I'm going through troubles. And the Lord says, okay, I'll take care of you, but here's some restrictions I wanna put on you. The first restriction is you cannot have a family or a wife. Check it out, verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came also unto me saying, thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. Why, Lord, why am I single? Well, the Lord's got a good reason here because all the sons and daughters of Israel are gonna die by the edge of the sword. This is not a family-friendly uh, place. And Jeremiah is being protected from great grief because of what the Lord is about to do to Israel. So this is one of those things where the Lord might have to say, Jeremiah, just do it. I'm not, I'm not gonna explain it to you now. I'll have to explain it to you later, what I'm doing. And you'll see why having a family right now is not the way to go. So uh, he says, verse three, for thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place and concerning their mothers that bear them and concerning their fathers that begat them in this land. They shall die of grievous deaths. They shall not be lamented, neither shall they be buried, but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth and they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine and their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. Like this, to a Jew, this is the most horrifying death, the most dishonorable death, where birds of the air are plucking off the flesh of their sons and animals are coming, and even the famine, meaning cannibalism during that time. It's gonna be a horrible thing, and that's why you shouldn't have sons or daughters or a wife right now. So that's the first prohibition against poor Jeremiah, no family, you really are alone. Um, but the second thing is uh, you can't attend funerals when this happens. Verse five, for thus saith the Lord, enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to lament nor bemoan them. For, um, for I have taken away my peace from this people, saith the Lord, even loving kindness and mercies. Both the great and the small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them nor cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them. Neither shall men tear themselves for, the, for them in the morning to comfort the, them for the dead. Neither shall men give the cup of consolation to drink for their father or for their mother. Um, by the way, some of these practices were pagan practices where they would cut themselves uh, when someone died and they'd shave their heads uh, and um, you know, grieve and mourn. And the Lord's saying, yeah, they're not gonna be doing that. There's gonna be no time for lamenting. Now, why would he tell Jer Jeremiah, you can't lament anyone either? It's interesting that there are times in the Bible where God says, do not lament for them. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, Ezekiel, we'll see him here in a few weeks when we get into that book, um, that he had a wife who was gonna die and the Lord says, do not mourn for her. We'll see why. Uh, when we get there, but it has to do with the Lord saying, I, I want Israel to see there's things you shouldn't mourn. Do you remember when Nadab and Abihu lit the strange fire uh, before the Lord in the temple? And um, there in, in uh, Leviticus chapter 10, and the Lord you know, sent fire from heaven and uh, lit the altar, the brass altar there in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it was this huge Holy Ghost happening. But the fire came down and then you know, Naaman and Abihu probably were drinking too much and be, became sort of stupid, doing stupid things. And one of the stupid things they did is they lit their own fire with their own censers after the fire was lit from God. 
And the Lord then caused fire to come from heaven and just totally, you know, blew up Nadab and Abihu. Now you say, Brett, that's a horrible story where, you know, the sons of Aaron were killed by the Lord in front of the tabernacle, in front of the people. Can you imagine that happening in church? Somebody's going, look at us, Uh, look, we're amazing. And then fire comes down and we see two bricks of charcoal laying on the front of the stage here. You'd say, that'd be a horrible Sunday. Well, that's what happened there. The glory of the Lord was falling on the, Israel, on the Israelites there, but Nadab and Abihu got in the way. But curiously, <coughs> excuse me, the, um, the, the, the sons of Aaron killed in such a brutal way. The Lord then told Aaron, if you recall in that story, do not mourn for Nadab and Abihu. Um, which is, it's gotta be tough. Here's Aaron, he's got to continue ministering in the, t- in the temple or the tabernacle and his sons were just killed there, but he was not supposed to mourn. These are times where the Lord says, do not mourn for them, um, lest you die. That's what he told Aaron. If you mourn for them, then, then you're gonna die too. So like that was such a brutal thing. Why would God do that? Well, I find it interesting and this goes against maybe our, our nature, but there are times where God's wrath and judgment will be poured out and is poured out, but we, we should be careful not to mourn when God's doing it. If God's doing it, we know that it's good and it's righteous. We need to all get to this place where we say, righteous and true are his judgments. Um, it's funny how we have become this strangely soft culture where we don't wanna see any death. We don't wanna see any, um, you know, we get our chicken from Safeway. It's not a living thing. Uh, we get our beef, you know, from, from the beef section in the uh, grocery store. But as a kid who grew up on a farm, we raised our cattle and they were our little friends. We even named them Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Uh, we had, you know, um, uh, some good beef cows, but, you know, we had to go out there and watch the butcher come and, and shoot him in the head with a 22 and just dropped Huey and Dewey and Louie and then butchered him. And then we had hamburgers that night or, you know, later on. And, um, and that's something that, you know, we, we actually saw, but, but um, you know, nowadays people are so squeamish about, you know, just the, the truth of what's right and what's wrong, what's sacrifice, what's good, what's bad. But we've, we've insulated ourselves so much that when God does something, I think we almost wanna protest. Oh, I can't believe God did this. Um, there's people, for example, that are vegans, which, it's great if you wanna be a vegan. And I, I joke around about vegans because I can't imagine being one. But if you make a, a, a spiritual thing out of being a vegan, then you're off course um, because Jesus killed fish and ate them and fried them up. Like, um, you, like you shouldn't be mad about something. Well, that's not kind to the little fish. Jesus did it and he was perfectly righteous. Um, and, and the Bible tells us, God told Peter, <clears throat> rise Peter, kill and eat. Um, so. So there's people that are, I can't believe God would do this. Um, but all that to say, um, we needed to say righteous and true are his judgments and not mourn when God's judgment is there. See, God says, these people are going down and you need to kind of get on board with that, Jeremiah, and don't be mourning their death. It's a horrible death. It's gonna be an ugly situation, but I'm gonna tell you, uh, you need to be on board with it and not do a funeral for these people. Sounds harsh, sounds brutal, but it makes me wonder, are there things that we think that are actually in contradiction with God? Um, and we think that we're doing it sanctimoniously because of some construct that we've made up? 
when really God says, no, this is really what, what I want you to do and believe. Be careful. Just because it's cool or current or our culture, watch out for that mentality. When God says to do something or he's going to do something and we tend to wanna mourn over what God is doing. <clears throat> I think that's a mistake. I know that's kind of a deep thought uh, about mourning, about the bad things that are happening in the world when the Lord says, don't mourn over this. This is what I'm gonna do. But I think the mature believer gets to a place that says, whatever God does, whatever God wants, I'm on board with it. I'm not gonna mourn the things that God says, this is what I'm gonna do. But I'm gonna rejoice that God's will is being done one way or the other. I know that's a heavy verse, heavy thing, but that's what Jeremiah's put up against right here. Do not mourn for them. Don't go into the house of mourning, neither lament or bemoan for them. Verse five. So the prohibitions or personal restrictions on Jeremiah, first of all, no family, no wife, no kids, verses one through four. And secondly, no mourning for the people that are dying, no funerals or anything like that, verses five through uh, seven. But the last one here is um, verses eight and nine, that uh, they're not to enter in, he's not only not to mourn in the house of mourning, but he's also not to go to the house of feasting or the party house. The Lord wants him to be sort of monotone in his demeanor, not rejoicing, not moaning or mourning, but just monotone. Check it out, verse eight. Thou shalt not also go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and to drink. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. None of that's gonna happen because of the sin. Um, why would he have Jeremiah be monotone? Well, it, it might come off a little bit irreverent and wrong if, he's, if everybody's being killed so he doesn't go to the funeral, but then he becomes a party animal. Everybody's dying, oh well, party animal. Like what, you don't do that. The Lord says, nope, don't be really, really glad. Don't be really, really sad, but just be somber during these times. I wonder if that's something we should consider just about you know, um, having the right demeanor during these last days that we live, not to be flippant or joy. I mean, we can have fun and joy and worship and those things. But I, I wonder if sometimes we can become kind of flippant about what's going on, that the wrath of God is coming down on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. And some people, I almost hear them say, well, God's gonna get them, you know, and they deserve it. There shouldn't be rejoicing in those people's suffering. And that's why I think Jeremiah couldn't party down and go feasting because it would give the wrong signal about what God was doing. Well, verse 10, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words and they shall say unto thee, wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Now, pause for a second. This is hard for me because I, I think, are you kidding? Are you guys just totally ridiculously stupid? I mean, you guys have been sacrificing your babies on altars. You guys have been worshiping Baal. You've been all kinds of sexual promiscuity going all over your country. And you're saying, what have we done? Why is the Lord gonna judge us? But this starts to make me realize that that's the problem with sin. When you engage in sin, it tends to blind you to the immorality that you're engaging in. And you almost forget uh, that you're even doing something wrong. 
The Bible says that in the last days, people have this thing, same thing. What are we doing wrong? We're good people. And the Bible says that their conscience has become seared as with a hot iron. Um, that's, a, that's a characteristic of the last days, just like these days. They're like, what have we done? Now the Lord's gonna tell them through Jeremiah what their evil and their sinful thing was. But the problem is that um, Jeremiah, you know, the people, they, they come to him saying, what, what do you think, what is God doing? I think it's important for us to remind people of what the Bible calls sin. Again, it's not a popular thing to do, but when the Bible says something's sin, we should call it sin. But people are like, well, why is this bad? And why is the Lord gonna judge us for doing this or the, the other? But we haven't preached the word and so people don't know. So here Jeremiah is gonna tell them very point blank, very, very clearly what their problem was. Then verse 11, uh, shalt thou say unto them, because your fathers have forsaken me, thus saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods and have served them and have worshiped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers. For behold, you walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore, will I cast you out of this land into a land that you know not, neither ye nor your fathers, and there shall ye serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought the children of Israel out of the land of the north and from the lands whither he hath driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. So we have here a description. They say, what have we done? What have we done wrong? Lord, it's because you worshiped other gods and you've done worse things than your fathers did. But don't you love it? The Lord here gives them just a little glimmer of the hope of their future. And that is, remember I told you that one in four of them would be taken into captivity into the land of Babylon. Uh, it's called the North here because that's the place where the Babylonians came from. They would always go up the Fertile Crescent and then down into Israel when they attacked. So the attacking enemy would come from the North. And that's why that uh, term is used here. But but the idea is the Lord saying, but I will scatter you in Babylon. But also there's an implication of, of, of what would happen even further still, um, where the Jews would be ultimately scattered all over the world. Um, the same thing happened, not only in Babylon in 586, but remember in AD 70, when the Romans you know, slammed Jerusalem and wiped out Jerusalem and the Jews were scattered. And like you know, Ezekiel the prophet said, the Lord would scatter them of all the nations. They'd lose their Hebrew tongue. They would, they would sort of lose their identity as a nation to a degree. But then the Lord says, but I will regather you at some point. And see, that's the little smidgen of hope that God embeds right here in our text. He says uh, at the end of verse 15, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. What an amazing miracle. This is one of the miracles of the Bible. If, if you don't believe in the Bible, you should really take a look at some of the things God says, I'm gonna do this. Um, how could you scatter an entire nation of people and have no homeland for almost 2000 years? No other people group in the world has lived around the world without a nation or a, you know, a geographical place on the map and kept their identity as a nation. Nobody ever ever done that except for the Jews. They were scattered for almost 2,000 years. 
And then the Lord started in the 1700s, the Zionist movement, Theodore Herzl, uh, not that unlike Paris today, where it's very dangerous to be a Jew. Walking on the street in Paris is dangerous if you're a Jew um, because of the um, radical Islam that's taken over Paris, you know. But um, there, Theodore Herzl, they saw a situation of the Dreyfus Affair, if you can look it up if you want, that caused the Jews to realize Jews will not be safe until they have their own homeland. And so there, Theodore Herzl and others started to encourage Jews to go back to Palestine at that time. Um, you know, and it was just a desolate, empty place with a few Bedouin tents. Um, and the Jews started to purchase the land and buy property there. And then eventually um, they started to farm it and bring it back to life. And it's, it's such an amazing story. But the Ezekiel prophecy that they'd be scattered, lose their language, but eventually the Lord would gather them again and they'd get their language back, Hebrew. Now they speak Hebrew over in Israel. And, um, and they, they're one of the few nations, people groups. I always laugh around Thanksgiving because suddenly we became the ones who took the land from the Indians and we were horrible to do that. The, um, the problem is every place on the planet, somebody took something from someone. You know, like, like you have to understand history. Every people group killed someone for their property. Uh, and if you live on property, you're guilty, except for the Jews. There's only one people group in the world that can say God gave us this land, Israel, and we paid for it with our own dollars. They didn't take it hostily. Now, once the Jews bought the land and lived there, you know, and then, then they became a nation after World War II, you know, League of Nations, felt guilty, Holocaust. So our, our president, final vote, allowed Israel to become a nation, um, you know, in May of 1948. So what nation can say the world gave them their land, God gave them their land, and they paid money for their land? All the other nations of the world uh, took their land hostily from another group um, somewhere in their history. Um, so that, that always cracks me up that people are saying, we owe the Indians their land back. Well, if you say that, then every other people group needs to give their land back to whoever their original owners were that they conquered. Um, I know it's not a good thing. It's called the sin of man. Uh, we're, we're greedy people all over the globe. But it's, it's amazing to me, the one nation that actually did it right, they're the one nation that the world's saying, you can't have that land. You know, they're trying to say Israel doesn't, they're occupiers of that land of the Middle East and the Arab nations are saying, we're gonna drive the Jews into the sea because they shouldn't be on Arab land. Um, never was really Arab land. It was given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. The Jews did lose their land over those couple thousand years, like the Lord said, but then he also said, I will regather them. Like what a miracle. The Jews in Israel, that's one of the reasons our Israel trip I think is so fun, is you're seeing one of the greatest biblical miracles that is happening today. As Jews are traveling all over, over the world from places all over the world today, fulfilling Bible prophecy, that they would become a mighty nation in the last days. And everything that's happening right now is uh, stuff that we're seeing fulfilled in Bible prophecy. We might even talk a little bit about that on Friday night as we have our prophecy update coming up uh, this Friday night at seven. Love to have you join us. Um, but we'll, we'll be talking about uh, Iran and some of the stuff that's been going on 
uh, as it relates to Israel, the Mossad. There's some interesting things going on uh, in the Middle East, especially with the word that Trump may be out and that Biden might be in. Uh, the world is reposturing. And uh, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. But be that as it may, the Lord says, I will gather them back into the land of their fathers. That's the promise, that that's his covenant. So he's gonna wipe out these people, but he's gonna leave a remnant of them because he's not gonna totally destroy them to keep his promise to the Jews. Well, verse 16, behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double because they have defiled my land. They have filled mine inheritance with carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. Um, the Lord says, you can, hide, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm gonna find you like a fisher catches fish, like a hunter you know, gets the, the, the um, animals out of every mountain and from the holes out of the rocks. That's what the Lord was gonna do with the Jews during that time. Um, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies vanity and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself and they are no gods? Therefore behold, I will once, uh, pardon me, therefore behold, I will this once cause them to know and I will cause them um, to know mine hand and that my might and they shall know that my name is the Lord or Jehovah um, is the word there. Um, this is the Lord saying, this is how I'm gonna show these people that I am truly God, that there is no other. And even though these nations come and make up their own gods and do things their own way, the Lord says that the, eventually the world's scene is gonna prove that I am the Lord. That's one of the reasons why Bible prophecy is fun to talk about because it does reveal the strong arm of the Lord and his plan for humanity. And so we see what happens with the nations around the world and uh, we realize that um, God's word is gonna come to pass, whether we like it or not. And you need to be on the correct side of this. Jeremiah just so happens to be one of the few and only guys that are really following after the Lord. And so he's really dealing with that, being alone and still trying to stand firm. And I, I guess it might be a good word for you tonight is uh, maybe you feel alone in your faith in the word of God. And, and yet, man, it's time to stand strong. Don't, don't wimp out, don't cower, don't give up good solid doctrine and theology just because everybody wants you to be united with them. Um, don't, you know, don't give up you know, reading the scriptures just because some things scare you a little bit. Jeremiah was kind of freaked out by all this, but the Lord says, I got you, I'll protect you. These people are gonna be wiped out, but I'm gonna reveal that I am truly the Lord and the Lord has his purpose and has his plan for his people. Um, man, I, I'll tell you, um, in some ways I find this comforting. Uh, even though Jeremiah is not really meant to be a real comforting book, I don't believe. Uh, it is comforting to know that the Lord's gonna work out as well. And he never suffers the righteous to fall. He never judges the righteous with the wicked. And that's why, man, you need to first and foremost know, know that you're saved. 
Make sure that you're a, a Christian who's walking with Jesus. Secondly, in these days we live, you don't wanna be a person who's messing around with false doctrine, false teaching, uh, wavering in things that are just biblically sound doctrine where people are challenging that today and trying to lure Christians away from just solid biblical thinking. Man, stand your ground, even if you're alone. Even if the rest of the crowd thinks you're judgmental or critical. You know, it's funny how people will try to frame it. You're just being judgmental about that. Um, you know, it's interesting. Jesus said, judge not yet lest you be judged. But in the same exact chapter, he said, yes, but you'll know them, others, by their fruit. In other words, you're gonna judge their fruit and see if it's right or wrong, good or bad, if they're doing what the Bible says or they're not. You, you don't check your brain out uh, uh, just because we're supposed to not judge each other. Um, the idea is not judging someone self-righteously, like I'm better than you. We're not supposed to do that. But we are supposed to you know, inspect the fruit of other people and, and what they're doing and other ministries and what they're going and, and say, is that really what the Bible teaches? Is that really what we're supposed to be doing? And you might be alone on those things, but join Jeremiah. That's, that's I think, a, a characteristic of the days we're living. Jeremiah was kind of an end times kind of guy, a last days sort of dude, because uh, the Jews were about ready to be trounced by the Babylonians. And it, it probably seemed apocalyptic to them at that time. But who knows what 2021 is gonna bring, but it feels like things could be right on the edge of where the Lord comes through with what he says is gonna happen in the last days. We'll see. But until then, keep your eyes on the Lord, keep reading his word and, and uh, doing what the scriptures tell us to do. And for that, we'll leave it the rest of this uh, and go into chapter 17, Lord willing, next week. So let's pray. And Lord, we're so thankful uh, that your word gives us direction. Even when it's tough to hear things that aren't easy to um, really appropriate for our lives, I pray that you'd show us how and give us strength, Lord, that we be not moved by what's going on around us. I pray that your word would be an anchor for our soul to keep us rooted and grounded in your word. I pray your blessing upon people, even those that feel alone, like they're the lone rangers out there trying to walk with you, keep your word. Lord, may they keep the faith and be strong. I pray that we'd be bold in our witness and our testimony, that we wouldn't be afraid to speak the truth like Jeremiah, even in a, in a world that doesn't wanna hear it. I pray that we'd have a boldness and faith as we put our trust in you. So bless your people tonight, all the folks that have put in this time to study your word. May it bring forth good fruit in their lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.